Hey everybody, today I'm joined by Blake Robbins, a principal at Benchmark. Prior to Benchmark, Blake was an investor at Ludlow Ventures. He also co-hosts a podcast on the history of the video game industry called GameCraft. Our conversation covered Blake's unique insights from studying the business of games, how curiosity drives his investing, and his thoughts on being a person online. I hope you enjoy. Blake, so happy to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. To kick us off, my first question for you, digging right in, is what would you say are the three big takeaways from your podcast series on gaming? Ooh, it's a fun question. I, I, I think it's, you know, for maybe people who haven't listened, I, I did a podcast with my partner at, at Benchmark, Mitch Lasky, on sort of gaming history overall and, and the world of business through a gaming lens. And for me, it was, there, there's a couple major takeaways. One is like, man, I grew up in a very golden period of, you know, probably similar to you of, of games, but mainly as a player. And I never actually fully understood or appreciated like what was going on behind the scenes. I think the, the other major takeaway for me is just how important business model shifts and distribution innovation was in gaming. And like, yeah. and, and a lot of people look at the art side of gaming and that's a lot of what gets to love or the creative side but the business side is honestly if not more important like equally important that to the creative side and it actually shapes and impacts everything which obviously sounds very obvious now but you know when you look back at it through a real lens it's wow like even the shift to free to play or why there was a shift to free to play and you know why do games get distributed on steam all these things is just really yeah. amazing and then i think the third major takeaway is just like mitch is a legend <laughs> like and, and really <laughs> like getting away. the opportunity <laughs> to sit down with mitch and hear his perspective it, like there's no one there's probably two or three other people that went through the same career arc that that mitch did within gaming and he has such a unique vantage point and for me it was just like a real like real blessing and opportunity to just like get that perspective and out there in the world for me i i was having those conversations behind closed walls and we kept talking about we should have this conversation like in public because someone will benefit from it yeah yeah that's amazing how have you evolved your thinking since doing the podcast do you think who you know i, I it's, it's funny i i spent a lot of time in games and, and thinking about games from an investor perspective and for me i i really like I always wanted to invest in games, but there was a part of me of like, this is a hit driven business It's so hard to invest in, you know, all the standard tropes that people say about games. For me, yeah. my, my thinking has evolved in much more of like, there is real you know, method or, or reasoning of, of why these games broke out or why certain companies succeed. And I think that just mm. makes me a better investor, but also just a better like thinker of the space. And almost every game I play now, I think through the lens of like, why is that game in number one on the charts or like why did this game break through and yeah. for better or worse you know just the analytical side of me now thinks through it through the lens of the podcast of oh okay that's of course the shift that this is taking advantage of or why it's breaking through hmm. that's super interesting well has it trickled down into like investing in other things too like frameworks that you apply elsewhere? yeah i think it's it's more again it sounds obvious in hindsight but it's more that like business model and distribution or like the innovation around those two things is so important, not just in gaming, but yeah. in almost everything and catching the wave or understanding how you're going to attack that. It's actually pretty shocking. The number of companies you talk to when you push on one of those variables and like, 
what are you actually doing to make sure people play your game or use your product? Like people, a lot of people just assume like if you build it, they will come and it's just not the reality. And and a lot of this is like really scrappy. How do you think about taking advantage of the wave that's happening behind you? Mm, That's super interesting. Where do you and Mitch disagree? Ooh, there's a few different places where, where Mitch and I disagree. I think the biggest is like, I'm... I'm still a pretty big believer in mobile. And I think Mitch is a believer in mobile, but like, I still think that there's investable opportunities on mobile. I think Mitch is a little bit more burnt out on like the flywheel of how you have to spend Mm. a bunch of money to acquire users and whether that's sustainable or not. I still think that there's investable opportunities there and think there's, there's real opportunities. Mitch, I think is a little bit more in like, nope, this is just all just, CAC all the way down. Like it's the same as direct to consumer type of CPG products. I think there's another view, which is like, I, I'm, I I probably overweight the importance of streamers and content creators within the world of gaming. I think Mitch respects Mm -hmm. where those people are and their role within the ecosystem. But I, I still think there's like, that's the really the biggest unlock within distribution still. Yeah. Do you think that's going to increase over time? Like, is something going to become more and more popular? I think so. I I, I think it becomes more of a like. I, I my personal view is that over time, most games are just going to partner up with the biggest creators, and you're starting to see yeah. a little bit of that happen. But you could totally imagine the biggest I don't know shooting game in the world partnering with the best you know, shooter, first person yeah. shooter, streamer, yeah. and bringing them in. Like, it's it's a way to hack community but also marketing and that like get that person to have some upside and and have them be an ambassador and i think that will for sure happen more and more over time and they're just gonna be more deeply integrated at least for the hardcore type games and and more of the like core type games but the other side of this market i don't know maybe not but you also have like mr beast and random mobile games right now so like (laughs) that, that also happens where did that strategy start the one of like teaming up with like the best content creator because I feel like was it like the last ten years, last five years? Yeah, YouTube? yeah, it's it's probably last decade. Like okay. really, League of Legends and Minecraft were the two that benefited the most from it. Like, there's actually a hmm. you could take a very I don't know firm view of how games have broken out, and you could be like riot and and league of legends broke out because of twitch and they sort of rose at the same exact time and they were very symbiotic and then you could also say like minecraft and youtube really were tied in together as as like Mm. those both really benefited from it and and roblox is also probably in that same wave with youtube it's very strange to think about like how those two actually like they they all grew with each other and like youtube is I mean, greatly benefited from Minecraft, but Minecraft also greatly benefited from it. And mm-hmm. both like Minecraft and League of Legends weren't necessarily super like thoughtful of how they were approaching their their creator ecosystem early on. Yeah. It was much more of the games were great for that. And Twitch was a great platform to stream League of Legends and you know so forth. And now it's become way more like probably the most calculated version of this that we saw was a game called apex legends from electronic arts and they for their launch they actually did a like massive pay every streamer on twitch to play for a day like they just blanketed it yeah yeah it was a very extreme (laughs) approach and like every streamer who played games on twitch went and switched to apex for like i don't know 48 hours 
and like yeah. it just created so much hype around the game the game immediately became number one all this stuff it actually like fizzled out and like didn't do that great for like the three months after and then eventually it came mm-hmm. back but very like they they definitely made an explosion on the scene and i think they took the route of we aren't going to pay for you know billboards and do the standard tv marketing we'll just put that budget towards directly to creators i think that will continue to be a thing over time yeah it's really meeting the people yes. that they want to meet and will actually buy where they yeah, are. Yeah, it's like getting a trusted person that you like, like from, it's the same as buying radio ads. Like if you listen to it or podcast yeah. ads, where if you listen to that person all the time, you're just going to naturally have more affinity towards what they say that they want to sell or buy. Yeah. It's interesting to see, like, even early stage startups are using this strategy more and more like synthesis they employed like a first grade or preschool teacher or something to be their ambassador and it's like it actually does seem to really really work yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is the trusted source they're actually deferring to an expert and bringing them on board and having them tell the story for them yeah i think i think that's right i think it's a lot of this is like marketing today is a lot is primarily driven by like relatability and like totally yeah. that's the biggest streamers are just very relatable you, you know not actually yeah. like relatable yeah. maybe day to day, but like they feel very relatable or and parasocial relationships are a very real thing within these these ecosystems. It reminds me of the the very good meme of the, the guy sitting next to a poster of some friends and they're just like eating something and he's laughing and he's like how it feels to listen to a podcast. Yes, yes. It's very real though. Yes. No, it, it is, it yeah. is. And I think podcasts in, in particular is you're basically just like sitting, you know, a fly on the wall listening to a conversation. And it's yeah. part of why podcasts can be so powerful. Of like you don't need a massive audience, but as long as people listen to them often, like they'll think that they know you, Molly, and how you think about things. And that's really powerful. It's like a way to scale yeah. your thoughts. And, and hopefully this isn't too much work from a like editing perspective for you. So. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, it's much, it can, the thoughts can be much less polished and still be more relatable to than like, as opposed to writing, which I feel like used to be the default. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's harder yeah. to have a distinct style in writing. Yeah. You know, the best are amazing at that. And it's very clear, but for i don't know call it the 99 percent of writers it just seems like they're like regurgitating other facts or just throwing random stuff out there so i think podcast allows personality yeah. to shine through a little bit more clear yep agreed going back to games my last question for you i'm just curious at a high level where do you see the world of gaming going in the next decade Ooh. big question there's probably a few different thoughts but like my, my biggest belief within gaming is like everything is a game <laughs> like i i think like i think like all of life is a game which might be like a really like i don't know sad way to look at life but i actually just that's like a lot of how i've thought about things is like i'll study so i can like increase my like you know ability to do better in the world type of thing and yeah. or i'll work hard so i can do better and you know that translates into like actual like currencies and whatever but i think there is like leveling up in all of these different pieces but what that actually translates to in in like what that means for gaming and business is I think like every consumer product over the next decade will really like learn and take inspiration from like games. I think games Hmm. have figured out monetization and retention better than anyone else, at least on the consumer side. And I don't think it's in like, there's a lot of people that might be like, wow, it's because they're like super predatory. And I actually just don't think that's the case. Like, I think you look at something like Strava and Strava, like, has some real game mechanics within it and that's a net good and i you know i think one of the main things 
that I, I believe around gaming is like gaming, like games manipulate agency. And, you know, that just creates some really powerful things. And that could be a, a, a weapon for bad, but in a lot of cases, it can be really good. And, you know, you look at Duolingo and Duolingo is a game. Like that's not a, <laughs> that's not a like actual yeah. learning platform today, but still people will go in every single day and, 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 you know, take their lessons because it feels like a game. And I think that will just continue yeah. to shine through throughout all of, consumer i think within gaming specifically i think i like my my view is like you're gonna have way more of you know these massive multiplayer games and like you're gonna live in these worlds i think mm -hmm. games and social will blend a lot more clearly over the next decade and that like games understand social better than social companies understand games <laughs> i i think all yeah. of the execs yeah. at, at social companies are sort of just like we know that games are a thing and like it actually drives a large portion of our like our revenue but we have no idea like how to actually make a game or why people are sticking or downloading these games and i think games i think it's easier to understand the social side of this and that will happen over time like that it'll, it's going to get very interesting when you have a game like the next major social network in my opinion will look closer to a game than a standard facebook or instagram hmm Interesting. I really like that thesis. That's really good. Shifting more to like thinking about investing and potentially where the investable opportunities are within that shift. Mm. I'm curious, first of all, my first question for you is actually more along the lines of just being an investor. And it's how do you think about the trade-off between being in a smaller fund with more opportunity to make decisions and to learn from everything that's going on versus being in a bigger fund and reaping the benefits of like more of an apprenticeship model where you are closely paired with somebody. Yeah. I mean, so I've been doing venture for I think eight years, nine years, something like that at this point. And wow. you know, the first six and a half, seven years, I was at a fund called Ludlow and that was a $50 million fund seed fund. And very much like we were writing not a lot of checks, but we were writing a pretty high volume of checks and, and working with a wide variety of companies, very generalist, probably doing 30 companies per fund. So I was there for, yeah. I don't know, two and a half, three funds or something like that. So just a large number of investments. And that was very much like you're just thrown into the fire and learn. And we were all learning, you know, as a team of three, like we, we didn't know what we didn't know. And that's, a really unique learning experience for me and i wouldn't trade that for the world like i i learned everything i sort of know about venture through that lens what i think is you know i reached a point where i was seven years in or six and a half years in and i i felt very like i knew the world that i was in i knew a very like narrow view of a venture of like seed stage complementary style investing uh, and generous mm -hmm. investing. And I talked with, with Benchmark briefly and Benchmark was sort of just like, you should come and join us in, in a principal role. And, you know, we talked a lot of what that would look like. And for me, I got the conviction of like, okay, I'll, I'll do this role because I want to learn. I want to learn a different style yeah. of investing. And I think there's only so many periods in your career where you can do that, where like you, you can yeah. dip into, like dip your toe into other places and be like, okay, I know this one very narrow view. Let's see another narrow view of venture. And yeah. for me, it was just such a compelling opportunity to be like, wow, like these are people I truly respect and, uh, you know, are truly like amongst the best in the world at, at their craft. I like getting the opportunity to learn from that seems stupid to sort of turn down or like to, to pass up. And for me, that's how I evaluate it. I think, you know, I'm 
almost two years into that today. And like, I would say it's one of the best decisions that I've ever made just from learning yeah. from this group is they're really special. And I've learned so much, like so much that I didn't even think I like needed to learn or, or thought I would learn, you know, like all these, all these random things, mainly soft skills more than anything else. Like it's hard to actually put into words to tangible learnings, but for me, it's just been incredible. And I think, you know, nothing will replace the number, like just making investments. And so like when I was evaluating this, you know, I remember talking to a mentor and they're like, the only thing that matters as an investor is like making investments and finding great companies and like working with great founders. And I think is, you know, for the position you're in, like keep doing it, you're learning a lot and you're going to learn a lot. But if you ever do reach a point of like, wow, maybe my regrets have stagnated or like my learnings have stagnated. I think there's, there's always other routes to, to pursue that, but yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's at least how I've thought about it. I like that a lot. It reminds me of the explore versus exploit model too. You explore, you do a lot of investments, then you refine it down and then you really like learn the, the craft from the very best. And I'm curious, what are some like the, the key learnings that you have gleaned from being around benchmark people and seeing how they think and make decisions? I think it's just more of that the clarity of thought that everyone has at benchmark is mm. just like so unique and rare and that like i can i can sit in a pitch meeting with them and we'll, we'll be sitting there and I'll, they'll ask the question and i'll be like that's an amazing question i would have never even thought to ask that question we might reach the same conclusion of like we either want to do to come like invest in, in this founder or not, but it usually is just like the way that they get there is so systematic or more, more clear, like more clear and concise in how they think about these things. That's a really hard thing to like actually take away tangibly other than like just watching and continuing to learn and observe like where they might push. I think that yeah. benchmark like for me is just like an absolute obsession with like being like working with founders and and that is you know not scalable in any way and that's why the fund is very much like we do a small number of investments but we really work with our companies and the discipline and obsession with that craft i just have never seen anywhere else and it's part of what attracted me to join here so much is like it's we really take it seriously and so much so that like we, we believe that we can't just simply increase fund size and, and you know, that, that makes us better at our job. Instead, it's like we need to make a small number of investments and, and take our board seats very, very seriously and, and the role of working with founders very seriously. And for me, it's just been amazing to watch. And I've learned so much and how to approach even that and how you manage the relationship between, you know, a board member and a founder and, and make sure that you 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 get what's best for everyone, you know, and, and how you make sure that the yeah. company actually succeeds. Hmm. That's a great answer. What do you think? Are there any through line qualities to all the investors at benchmark that you think makes them a benchmark like investor? Just like an insane amount of curiosity hmm. and cool. just like actual truth seeking in a way that they'll go down rabbit holes or you'll mention something and they get up to speed in 24 hours because they just like spent the past 24 hours just like reading all about it and talking <laughs> to every single person they yeah. can. And I think it's more of, there's no ego when it comes to like, should they know or should like, how could they learn? And I've mm -hmm. seen them approach, you know, new topics where they're not experts, but 
they get up to speed so quickly because they're so curious and they want to learn and, and they talk to the right people. I think that's just yeah. rare. And to have it, to maintain that even at like the highest level is just really, really rare. And they actually are just always trying to meet amazing, you know, founders, but also just find the rabbit holes to go down and actually learn. And for me, it's just like, it's part of why I love this role so much is, is getting to watch that and getting to do that myself. Yeah. Hmm. Really interesting. If you could go back in time, what would you tell your 23 to 25 year old, whichever one you pick self in regard to career advice and what you wish you'd known? Ooh, I think it's more just slow down like that. Like <laughs> I know that sounds strange, but like, it's a lot of like, this is a long game and like really take the relationships and friendships and just enjoy the journey more than anything else. I think it's really easy when you're 23 and you're in venture to get caught up in the world that you're in and feel like you're in a race or you're comparing yourself to others, whatever it might be. And for me, like it would have just invest more myself and spend more like time just thinking and breathing and like talking to the investing in the relationships that I really did want to nurture. And so like, I'd probably still say that to my, you know, I'm 29. I'd still say that to my 29 year old self today, but I I suspect that will forever be my advice to my younger self. It's just like, man, you you should have just slowed down and enjoyed the journey more. And I think it's try and just find really amazing people and, and, you know, your filter of who you spend time with is just really important and make sure that you're just being real, really thoughtful about that and, and why like you're, you're polarized or drawn to that person. Yeah. And always analyzing why we, yeah, what is it, these qualities that keep popping up that makes me drawn to somebody? I feel like that's like a, a very worthwhile inquiry to, to, to figure out and take notes yeah. on. Something that's really surprised me about venture is how oftentimes it's learning about like unconventional weird things that are not, about the macro or venture or something. It's anything that will make your perspective interesting and unique and your brain gloom in fascinating ways. It was actually probably worthwhile yes. for like your differentiated edge and making a interesting decision that maybe other people would pass up. Yes. Yeah, I think there's that's sort of the thing I love most about venture is there's no right way to do this role. And, and in a lot of ways, it might be like you could spend, you could make an argument that, six months of the year, you should just be like reading and writing and, you know, and, and taking like one meeting a week. And like, if you told me that was, you know, the way that the best investor in the world did it, like I actually wouldn't be that shocked, but then, you know, there's the other side of like, some people want to take a million pitches a week and like, that's another way to do it. And for and I think it's a lot of this is very individual and like trying to get comfort in the way that you think is the best way to perform and, and like, you know, best way to work with founders. And for me, a lot of it, like my reflection has always just been like my, the best way for me to use my time is actually like really sitting and breathing and, and like going down rabbit holes and following my curiosity. And I think that's, you know, more of that would have been always been good. Like 23 year old self is I had infinite time to do that. And I should have been doing that even more instead of taking pointless calls or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Hmm. What are some examples of like rabbit holes that you've gone down that have led to decisions or investments if you care to share? Ooh, I mean, it, it's so, it's, it's such a like difficult question to answer because similar to what you were saying of like the rabbit holes often will 
look like they're not related at all <laughs> like yeah, it, it yeah. or it will it will seem like it might even be a waste of time but it can be like oh wow i went down this rabbit hole i I'd learned about this and that connects to this completely other thing that i like would not no one like rational would be like that's connected but the way my brain works yeah. is like oh that sort of reminds me of this weird SaaS company i should go and like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know message yeah. them again and see how they're doing you know and i think yeah. that's more often how it would work for me where it's just like going and exploring and spending time in these weird places then being like oh wow okay like i should actually like reach out to that company or i wonder how that company's doing or is there a company in this space is much more how it works but it's hard for me to pinpoint like exactly the like every every investment or like every company that i've ever worked with the journey of of how i've ended up to conviction and making that investment is so serendipitous and like it's so yeah. every one of them has their own journey and and story and that's also one of the more terrifying but also exciting parts of this role and job is a lot of what you do and is, is it is completely like you're trying to create serendipity and it's hard to scale that in a lot of ways but it's also impossible to replicate of like how you found some company yeah. is is very strange often it's not it's not super scalable Completely. It reminds me of just like putting coins in like a slot machine, hoping that some of them will work. Yeah, I think, <laughs> and they, they often do, but it'll be like years later. Yeah, I think, I think it's a lot of like, you need to, like what you're doing with this podcast, for example, is like, for me, it's, it's like, you're just trying to like plant seeds in a bunch of different places and yeah, make sure that exactly. like people think of you or, you know, it's like, oh, like Blake has unique thoughts on gaming. Like I should, I should send that to him, whatever that might be, or it's like, like thinks yeah. about this or Molly thinks about this. And that's, you know, a lot of how I think about at least my public persona is you know, like, you need to make sure that people understand who you are, or why they should even think of you. Yeah. That, and that reminds me too, and shifting more towards how you go about being a person online, which I find very inspirational and, and really commend. I'm just curious, like, what is your philosophy on both writing and sharing thoughts online? Yeah. And like, how has that evolved over time? You know, it's funny. Like I, I, I was born and raised in, in Michigan and, you know, primarily do this job from Michigan. And what that means is like, how do you actually like build relationships or stay top of mind? For me, it was very early on. I realized like I need to use Twitter. I was like, otherwise no one's ever going to know I exist like at all. And I just became super active on Twitter early on, you know, like, and, and when I look back at my early tweets, you know, it's like, I was shameless, you know, like I would, I, I would, <laughs> I would tweet it like, you know, insert big name venture capitalist or big name CEO. And I'd be like, Hey, like, like, and this is like publicly, I'd be like, Hey, like, I'd love to like chat. Would you be up for it? And like, I would just, and like people would like jump in and be like, you should talk with Blake. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy that I used to do this. <laughs> yeah. Works. Like, I mean, look, I was shameless at the time and, and I, I, I cringe yeah. a little bit now, but I, I, I joke because like it actually worked. And yep. for me, Twitter is like the town square of venture in tech. And like, I, I sort of think of it as like, you need to like, be active there to make sure people just understand that you're still like alive and like talking and spending time <laughs> thinking about things. Otherwise yeah. it's very, it's really easy to just be forgotten about. And so for me, a lot of it early on was just like me actually just sharing my thoughts, just like completely raw of what's going on in the world. And, and I would jump into a lot of conversations that I had 
no reason to be jumping into like i would like my my advice to anyone who ever wants to like actually build a brand and like an audience on twitter is just like try and add value to a conversation if you can even if you're not involved in that conversation that's what i obsessed over when i was in college i used to just jump into random people's conversation and be like have you seen this one have you heard of this like have you read yeah. this and like it created so many interesting conversations over time and then you know, as I've ended up in venture, you know, I, I sort of view it as like my public persona has gone through like periods of my like curiosity. And so like, I've, I've gone deep on creators. I've gone deep on, on esports. I've gone deep on gaming. I've gone deep on like probably five or six other areas. And depending on when people sort of followed me or started the journey of following me, they might have a very different skewed perspective of like where I spend time the reality is like i'm actually pretty generalist and spend time in a lot of different places but what i try and do is i try and share like my learnings or thoughts or weird crevices of the internet that i i find interesting and yeah. thankfully that's resonated with people but never explicitly with the goal of like actually building an audience like i actually like my unpopular opinion is i think like you should cap your following at like your followers at like 15,000 and i think like I once you like yeah. get past a certain <laughs> threshold like, I think if, if you take the town square analogy to the extreme, it's like everyone's just walking up to a microphone in, in the town square. And, yeah, and, and yeah. at some point when you like get too big of an audience, it starts getting picked up and like towns like very far over. And you're like, this wasn't intended for you. We're not even yeah, speaking yeah, the same yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. this, this was not yeah. meant for you. And like, this is meant for the people that like know me and understand that like, I would not say this in a completely like out of context way. And so I, yeah. that, that can be just frustrating and annoying at times not that i actually have, have to deal with it that often but it, it, it i'd be lying if i said that wasn't like something that's always in the back of my mind of when i'm public yeah it seems like there's always going to be a lot of opportunity for the people that are just focused on like contribution and creating serendipity on platforms like this because it is not connecting yeah. which i always feel like it's the same role as like venture yeah. <laughs> a similar muscle actually yeah. but i i do think that you're very right about that like there is a certain hard cap of which people are no longer really like reading it in your voice or the good faith culture voice yep. of like the the space anymore and then it gets totally taken in different directions yeah i mean this is part of like my my twitter profile picture is like a green gradient and at some point i realized like i'd love for something that's like more of like it's just like a blob like rather than like yeah. a picture of me and <laughs> like even like my like old twitter picture i don't even remember the last time i had a picture of me it was like probably like, i don't know 21 year old version of me and it's like okay someone could just like look at this and like who's this kid and like why is he like tweeting things like he knows what he's talking about or whatever and it's like i just want to remove all of that it's just like evaluate my thoughts for like who i am and like that's it. I don't, I don't want some weird, like, okay, this is what this person looks like. And now I've like assumed that this person has, you know, some weird perspective or like, I think that they're, you know, dumb or smart or whatever based off of that. Yeah. People, they really do project a lot onto the, the small, the small like scraps of data points that they get through online. Yeah. 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 They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll latch um, onto it even now. Right. Like when, when, you know, I, I tweet, it's, you know, I'm sure they're like, ah, just typical VC tweeting something. <laughs> but but it's good i like the green blob i think it projects the right ethos it's like yeah it's just like a faceless voicing thoughts into the yeah it, it's it, just kind of what the internet used to be it's, yeah. it's sort of inspired by like if i could have been pseudonymous in another life like if i could have actually built a brand publicly without ever having to show my face would i have like 
for sure. And yeah. I think like, you know, given the role and job that I have, you can't really do that. But what's the next closest thing you can do is like, don't make it super easy to become a target of like, here's your face online. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like <laughs> it, it's like, at least just like be yourself and like you, you can abstract. So when it, it does get picked up from a, another town square, or, you know, a couple cities over, it's like, they don't actually need to know who you are or make some weird biases of who you are. Yep. Yeah. Do you think that's going to increasingly become the norm online? I, I personally think like, we'll look back at this era of the internet and like, think that we're like we're all just crazy that we use our real names and and, yeah. <laughs> and our faces online <laughs> i i think it was like a detour of, of the internet and i think like facebook after we just created that like you know we went from a shift of you should never have anything online you know like when i was a kid and it's like don't put your name or anything and then like facebook somehow broke that and it's like yeah of course you should have like your name and all, all of online. your photos yeah. and every yeah. single thing you've ever liked online and i think it will gradually shift back and maybe like there will be a big change of like oh my gosh everyone's getting canceled blah blah blah. but i think there is a little bit of like this is we're all a little bit crazy for having our real names on the internet i think yeah how do you think about this when sharing like somewhat as original as original can be thoughts in terms of like writing and things like that and actually authoring stuff when do you like go to the page and think something is worth publishing putting your name behind it that kind of thing yeah, this is like a real curse that has happened to me over time. And then I like, I'm, I'm, I'm much more tough on what I put out publicly from a writing perspective in mm -hmm. that whatever I put out, I want it to be polished and can go through like the rigor of the public of like, yeah, like, like actually knows what he's talking about or he researched that well. And I actually think like, it's probably the wrong, like I've overcorrected and that like, I, I probably would be much better served just putting out my raw thoughts and like not having to go through like here's the whole background of you know a space and instead it's just like here's let's yeah. assume that the reader you know understands the space fairly well and, and and just give my thoughts there i think it's it becomes like more tough to the like at least for me the deeper you are into your career but early on i used to like write stuff and again i'd look back and i cringe but it's like at least i was putting stuff out there and i like i i, I think again 23 year old self i would tell myself write way more and like really solidify your thoughts out there in the world do you think that that will increasingly be the currency that people find serendipity going forward because I, I wonder if twitter will continue to be the Times square whether writing how it'll all fit together or where people will i, don't I know, think i think it's like say. twitter and writing let's just say like Twitter and Substack or wherever these places have yeah, become yeah. way more noisy and it's harder to differentiate yourself. And so for me, I'm always thinking about like, well, where do you like actually create content that like no one else is? And is that the right place yeah. to dig it? Or like, do you just go and, and make content where like, you know, your audience already is. And I just always go back to like, someone should really create a great YouTube channel like around this stuff. <laughs> it's the core topic. Yeah, <laughs> like I just think it's it's just sort of mind-blowing to me that no one from our world has fully cracked that. And I, I like refer to it as like smart YouTube, but like most of YouTube is like yeah. junk food. But there is like you and I would love to watch normal like smart YouTube stuff. And I do. I, I love yeah, it. And like I think there's just a big opening. Like right now it's just like educational and then like – documentaries and then like junk food and i think there's somewhere yeah. in between all of that 
Yeah. I think that sounds very right, especially short form video, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 I think, well. I think someone will nail TikTok as well at some point. It is surprising how few like tech and VC people have, have gotten this right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like zero. <laughs> We're also used to hiding behind a screen. Or yeah. Something. Exactly. It's probably just like who we are as people, just like our personality yeah, types, filters. just like goes yeah. more towards writing. <laughs> sure. Where do you go to find like inspiration? What are your favorite corners of the internet these days? Ooh, I spend way too much time on on Reddit and and TikTok and like it's like the original what Google search used to be. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> it, I think it's more of like you see I don't know. Let's use like you go to the coffee subreddit as an example, and like you go down the rabbit hole of coffee, and like again, you would think that's not a deep rabbit hole, but like oh my gosh, it is a deep rabbit hole. So and so you deep. go to the yeah. Wikipedia page on the side, or like the wiki that they put together, and it's like here's the buying guide here's like the nine thousand things of like how you should think about this and then you're like wait some random person did this for free like what like yeah, they yeah. did this because it's they're so, so passionate yeah. about this and they're like by the way there's probably two hundred thousand people that like go and read that and i was like okay wait this yeah. is actually crazy and so I, I i just love finding random subreddits like sub fifty thousand members and being like this is a passionate community what's going on here like i i, I love I love also following like drama within like like like, <laughs> like hobbies or or communities. Yeah. I think it's just such a interesting look of like okay, why is like I don't know like I I went down like a rabbit hole of like Warhammer like figurines and things like that. And it's like here's all these like weird drama that's going on within the space, and I'm like this is amazing. And like there's probably learnings of it like is. why this is happening, and like is there maybe there's a company that gets formed out of this? I don't know, but like at the very least. It, you get to see like reddit is for better or worse like the purest form we have of like observing all of the internet and how it, like the hive mind would interact and as long as you acknowledge it as like it's the hive mind and seeing like like i could you could read and ask reddit thread to me and i could tell you what the top 10 posts will be like top 10 comments will be just like automatically <laughs> like I, that's like how good of yeah. a pulse i have on like what how reddit thinks which is scary and bad but like it, it's become so <laughs> obvious like what people want on reddit and so I, I spend a lot of time on reddit i go down a lot of like rabbit holes on tiktok as well like tiktok as a search platform is really fun and interesting of like going and searching a weird hobby like coffee or something and and you're like wait what oh my gosh there's like all this amazing content that's out there but between that and those two and then i i, I try and I, I also go down a lot of youtube rabbit holes as well but I don't know. I, it's 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 very like not it's not systematic at all. It's very just like follow whatever breadcrumbs. <laughs> your curiosity. Yeah. Whatever breadcrumbs yeah. are out there, I just like chase down. Yeah, it's like quality breadcrumbs too. I feel like is what you're chasing. Yeah, yeah, and exactly, they, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 yeah. ideally not junk food, but you know, there occasionally yeah. <laughs> you end up at junk food. Yeah, whole week. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it reminds me. I think I feel like one of the best questions to often ask on a topic is always like, "What is the most contested issue?" currently to like get at the crux of yes. like what is tearing them apart and what is interesting and what people are thinking of then you have to fill in so much context to even understand why that is like the crux of an issue yes. but you'd be surprised yeah there's so many things that have like hotly contested debates in yeah like aerospace figurines or something like yeah, that and it's I, like why is this why is there even debate? yeah i mean it's more of like the fact that these people are so passionate about this <laughs> and you know it's like these people 
would all do this as their full-time job if they could, but they're like, yeah. they're probably working some nine to five or whatever it is. And like, that's where their real passion is, is they're like sitting and debating, you know, the future of some random thing. And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. like that, that person is amazing. But I also want to like, I want to go down the rabbit hole of every area that they spend time in. And, yeah. and I think it's, my view is most VCs just default to like, I don't know, what do, what do other VCs spend time in and think about? And yeah. for me, it's much better to just try and observe like what's actually happening. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Like this is a thing. Is it venture back? Well, I don't know. But like, again, all this weirdly gets connected over time. And and I try and reach out to a lot of these like people and, and you know, mainly like, I don't know if it's like a researcher, or if it's like a company or what it like, and it could be really niche, but like, I try and just build those connections and, and you know, dots over time so that I can connect them all. Cause that's the best yeah. part of this job is like actually connecting all these, these pieces. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's most fun. Yeah. And it, it does, it's like Reddit and many areas of the internet that are people just completely obsessing over things. It's a really good way to filter for like the people that are in the top one or 99% percentile of just being obsessed with a yes. thing. Yeah, like, yeah. I, there's probably no better way of finding yeah, that exactly. in the entire world. You know, it's, it's just like, why are they so obsessed? What's going on here? And and, and the, as you continue to peel the onion back, it's just like, oh, I can see why they're obsessed. Like, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you think, my last question for you in closing, yeah. is just how do you think that like venture and the internet is going to change over the next decade? And like, how is it going to change how we, we do this job and all this kind of stuff? Oof. I think it's my my view is like more and more power to the individual. Just like mm. that would be my overall theme. <laughs> like in that I think in direct contradiction to like everyone will regret having an online identity like the, of themselves. Mm-hmm. I also think everyone should like really invest in their personal brand and their personal audience. And like okay. I think being known for anything is like well, not not bad things, but like being known for like being unique is is good. And so a lot of what I think the next decade on the internet will be is how do you just like express yourself uniquely and, and build a personal brand? I think there's a, there's another piece, which is, you know, there's some probably really crazy thesis I could say around AI and how all that evolves and whatever else. I, I think it's, that'll happen. Like there's going to be some really crazy stuff that happens around AI, but I don't have a a strong enough thesis today to tell you how that that evolves i think it's just more and more value accruing to the individual and rewarding the yeah. individual it's interesting how yeah it becomes more and more atomized but then people still find themselves craving the community and the the groups and all that kind of things like rebuild what they've been ripping apart at the institutional seams for for a very long time and, and I think it's good. It's just like a reorganization. And now we're building from first principles. How do we actually want it to be yeah. organized in which people want to work together? Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And I, I think it will be very interesting to reflect on 10 years from now, like how, how the world's changed. Because it's just, if I've yeah. learned anything, like I, I can't predict any of this stuff. And instead, it's just yep. trying to observe and pay attention and, and make sense of it as you can. Great answer. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure. This is awesome.